in today's show. We're looking at the Golden State Warriors and their 2022-2023 season. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's pricepicks.com and the promo code is Locked On. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. It's time to talk Warriors. We're through to the teams now that made it through the first round. Oh, no, we're not. Because I haven't done the Kings. Huh. Or did I do the Kings? No, I did do the Kings. I'm, I'm so confused with what I've done with these um, with, with these shows that, uh, yeah, I'm confused. Have I done the Kings? Now I don't even know anymore. I'm going to go check because I'm confusing myself. It's okay. I did do the Kings. I lost my mind. We're through to the teams now that got knocked out in the second round of the playoffs. And we are going to start with this Golden State Warriors team that did beat the Sacramento Kings in Game 7 in Round 1 and got through to Round 2, only to be beaten by the Lakers, a team, the Golden State Warriors, that struggled all season with victories on the road and chemistry and Jordan Poole getting punched by Draymond Green in the preseason. And there's got to be all that stuff is a factor. And they've got a very, very interesting offseason coming up. Let's have a look at um, how things looked last season. Warning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right. The team finished 44 and 38 as a defending champ. Obviously not particularly strong. They did make it into the sixth seed and they did play better down the stretch. And obviously that matchup for them was a positive against the Kings. It still took them seven games to get there. But yeah, I think you are, I expected them to win that series and they did. But overall, they just weren't the same team for many reasons. That The Draymond pool thing is a big factor. It obviously impacted Poole's production more than it did have an impact on Draymond. The big thing, I think, was you know, young players not taking a big step forward. The role players, be a lead supporter, uh, Gary Payton not being there for the season, and um, Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole being much worse, and Andrew Wiggins missing 50 games. They're the big key factors. And, of course, everyone gets older, but the guys who produced Steph and Draymond, they were sort of the same player. Yes, Steph got hurt again. Um, but yeah, the, I guess the concerning thing is the pool situation and the clay situation. We're going to talk about those guys individually when we get to them. They still had the ninth best net rating, plus 2.4, eighth best offense, and 12th best defense. Interesting, their best lineup, again, doesn't tell us everything, but it didn't include Steph. Didn't, just didn't include Steph or Wiggins. Jordan Poole, Dante DiVincenzo, Clay Thompson, Johnny Kaminga, and Draymond Green. Now, this isn't something that's going to be like, wow, that's awesome for the future, but it is good to see Poole and Kaminga both in that best lineup, which was a plus 22.6. Doesn't tell us that, man, need to get rid of Steph Curry and move off him. Just shows that there was, despite some frustrations with these players, there were some positives throughout the season. Not, It wasn't a complete disaster the whole time. Free agency, they are $80 million over the cap projected. They have um, some really interesting free agency, not even decisions. Well, they are decisions, but some of them aren't their decisions. 
And the number one on that list is um, Draymond Green, who has a player option for twenty, almost $25 million. The expectation is he declines that. I do expect that he does return to play for the Warriors, but they are going to be in a situation where if he gets the extension, then Clay will be looking for an extension as well. Um, and how does this team afford all this? What do they do with the guys like Kaminga and Moody, who head into year three as sizable roles for them as lottery players? Probably not. And they've got to start to make decisions. They've also got a player option there on Dante DiVincenzo for $4.6 million. I think with the way that DiVincenzo played this season, he was significantly better than that amount of money. So I would expect him to decline that. That means the Warriors don't have bird rights on him. So their ability to re-sign him is pretty limited. And I think they might end up losing him because of that. They've got Jermichael Green and Andre Iguodala. Now, the expectation is that Iguodala at age 39 is going to retire. There was a report that he was retiring. And then he came out and said, no, that report's not true. It is going to be true. There's almost no way that he's going to play. Um, Green was sort of in and out of rotations all season. There's also a restricted free agency on Anthony Lamb, who was a two-way guy nearly all season, was converted at the very end of the year to the regular roster, but I don't think he's really that good. And then there's the two two-way guys, Lister Canones and Ty Jerome, who again played tons on this squad and uh, don't really think that they should be, especially um, especially uh, Jerome, who's been around for a while. I don't think there's any need to, to bring those guys back and uh, and yeah, see what they can do in their next situation. I don't think so. Um, but the draft, they don't have a second round pick, but they do have a first round at pick 19. According to our mock draft, draft art, try again, mock draft ADP, that would be Bryce Sensible. I honestly don't think A, Sensible would be available there, or B, that would be who they would take. There are interesting big men available at that spot. Derek Lively would be awesome, I think, on this team to see what he is able to uh, produce as a Kavon Looney heir. There could be other big men that are available in that spot. Is it too high to reach for a James Najee? We talked about him the other day with Tyler Metcalf, who's big on him around this spot as well. Uh, I think they would be looking for big men help because their center rotation was Kevon Looney. And then it was, yeah, Draymond Green. Like, that's it. That's That was their centers, basically, for the season after they uh, moved on from uh, old mate Jim Wiseman. We're going to talk about these individual players right now. We'll do it. Because, well, actually, no, we're not going to talk about it now. We're going to talk about prize picks. Because today's episode is brought to you by prize picks, which is Daily Fantasy Made Easy. They've got a great deal all the way through the NBA Finals. A $1 million daily Superflex promotion. Every day of the NBA playoffs and through the finals, one prize picks user will win a chance at becoming a millionaire. One entry that's placed after 8 a.m. Eastern will be randomly selected, and whoever placed that entry gets a six-pick flex. And if you get all six of those picks right on their over-unders, you get a million bucks. If you get five of the six, it's 80 grand. If you get four of the six, it's 16 grand. Full details at pricepicks.com slash million. You've got to opt in at that link to be eligible for the million dollar entry. And once you get in, all you do is play the game like normal. They have the individual player projections of points and threes, rebounds, assists, other sports as well. You could choose more or less, mash them together, and you have that chance of potentially winning a million dollars. They've also got a really good sign-up bonus as well. So download the PricePix app or go to pricepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKEDON. If you deposit $100, we'll give you $100. If you deposit $50, PricePix gives you $50. Don't forget, use the promo code LOCKEDON at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. All right, let's talk players. Let's go in here, and the first one we're going to talk about is Steph Curry, who I was a little bit down on in the draft season. 
His ADP ended up being seven. When I was first doing my mock drafts, it was around six. And I said, I don't want to pick him at six. I had him at like 10 to 11 because I thought that after a really long finals run, Steph would be a little bit limited in terms of they'd, they'd ease his minutes off. They would, last season he played most of the year, uh, a large chunk of the year without Clay Thompson so that he'd be able to ease off a little bit on usage and he'd sort of coast a little bit. So in the end, I think me fading him at six probably was correct. Even though on a per game basis, he was sixth. He was 11th in points leagues and he was seventh in minus one. But he missed chunks of time. He played 56 games. That made him 12th in totals. But what I didn't expect to happen was this team to be so bad that Steph would have to play 35 minutes a game and run at 31 usage and have one of his best seasons ever. So sometimes we can overthink things and maybe this was a case of me overthinking it and getting the answer right based on not the right reasons. The reason that like, if you picked him at six, it didn't particularly work out strong is because he got hurt. And that wasn't why I was avoiding him at six. I just thought instead of 35, he'd play 33 minutes. Instead of 31 usage, he might have 29 usage. Instead of 29 points, he might get 26 and a half. Like that were the things that, that, that I thought would be more, maybe a bit more realistic. I didn't think he'd also go close to a career high in um, rebounds at six. He had almost five threes a game. I just thought everything there might be five, 10% lower. And again, I had him at like 10 or 11. It wasn't like I was massively out on him. I just didn't want to take him at six. So it worked out, but for the wrong reasons, probably. And there's no, you know, no issue with Steph. Like he's, he's great, but he's 35. At some point, it is going to drop. He's going to be great for a long time, but he's not going to be able to maintain 35 minutes a night at 31 usage forever. Even like LeBron, who's still awesome this season, you see a, a bit of a drop off for him. And Steph, the injuries are piling up. Knees and ankles and whatever. There's always something seemingly piling up with Steph with an injury. And that gets worse as you get older. 29 points, 5 threes, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 0.9 steals, 43 from 3. These are all elite numbers. 92% from the line, 98th percentile EPM, 8th overall in Darko, plus 4.4. You can see though on that Darko graph how far he has um, fallen from his peak because his peak was insane. It was like a Darko of like 7. He's at 4.4. He's still awesome. But the decline has happened in his overall impact stuff. The fantasy numbers are still really strong, but there is going to be a point where it's going to fall away. And I think I'll probably have the same mindset again with Steph next season that I don't think I want to pick him at six. Wear and tear, little bit of age, 43 from three drops to 41% from three, 4.9 triples becomes 4.5, 29 points becomes 28 points. Or just any of those little things just drops him that bit. Because at age 35, I think that's probably a safer bet to expect that there is going to be as much, or as good as he is, and he is, he's awesome you expect some sort of drop-off. And you can see some chunks of time missed here for Steph through a couple of injuries that did cost him that um, that playing time. And that is something that has been an issue for him over multiple, multiple seasons. On his EPM graph, you can see all the blue dots of the missed time. He's still awesome. There's no doubt about that. His production at the start of the season was great. And it did drop as the season went on. That was reflected in fantasy numbers as well, where he was putting up number two overall numbers to begin the season. And then that faded back and he ended up as sixth overall per game. So there was that drop-off um, that did eventually end up coming. Just yeah, probably didn't come as, as much as I thought it would. Let's talk about Draymond, who had an ADP of 80. He ended up 61st in category leagues, 48th in totals, 91 in points leagues. 80, I can't remember... I think in a lot of the drafts I did, he was going in the 90s, and that's what average draft position would tell us, is that 
you know, if it's average at 80, that means in half the leagues, he's going, well, most of them, half of them, not not necessarily half, but a chunk of them, he's going later than 80. And a chunk of them is going earlier than 80. doesn't mean that everyone's picking him at 80. I think in a lot of situations, if you were punting points, I liked him in the 60s. And that would have worked out really well, given where he ended up. But it doesn't fit every team. And this is where, again, if you just become absolutely 100% beholden to rankings, you get yourself in trouble. Because you look at Draymond, who's 61st. He might come in as the 68th ranked player next season or something along those lines. Or you look at his totals, where he's 48th. And you take him there, but he averaged eight points. And on the wrong team, it doesn't matter what the overall value is. Eight points kills you. His value comes from seven rebounds. It comes from seven assists. He got a steal, but his blocks aren't super high anymore. He hit 53 from the field. So really, he's a an assist player who gave us marginally above average steals with good field goal percentage on low volume. 13 usage, 32 minutes a night. He's older as well, of course. We don't know where he's going to be playing. Um, he could find a larger usage role somewhere, but he's lost so much offensive confidence that I don't really think it's ever spiking hugely. So... Yeah, Draymond probably is, you know, even though he finished 61st, he probably will be a guy that goes in the 80s again. But if you're on the right team with the right build, it makes more sense. And for other teams, it makes no sense to pick him that early. And that is really, really important. His impact stuff was strong. As like with Steph, you can see those peaks five years ago. And he's still really good, but it's dropped off. 47th overall in Darko, 86th percentile EPM. These are all great numbers. He continues to be one of the NBA's best defenders continuously. Uh, offensively, he just sort of is still doing the same thing. There hasn't been significant drop-offs over the last year or two, but it was good to see that field goal percentage jump back up. His fantasy points numbers, obviously, he's way worse in fantasy points than he is in category leagues. Um, but that fantasy points number at 91 is probably more, more not, not realistic, but if you're not in a situation to punt points or that's not the way you're looking at in a category league, that's probably more the spot you'd want to draft him in a category league where you'd be able to stack up a few more higher scorer players or some higher defensive stat players or higher three players early. And then he, getting his little assists there become more valuable. Now, the assists are scarce. So even if you are punting points, his assists might be more valuable too. But it's all very relative in terms of that, that overall production that Draymond gives you. He's not a guy that's just helping you in every category. He lifted his EPM rating pretty highly in the playoffs, as you can see on that graph. That's what that last dotted line is there. That's the playoffs. But overall, that doesn't matter that much for us in fantasy. But let's talk about um, Clay Thompson. So I think he is an important guy to talk about because I thought his ADP at the time at 60 was pretty silly. Um, I think that ended up being fair enough. He ended up overall 72nd in category leagues, 69th in minus one ranks, uh, 74th in points leagues. I, I just... It didn't make a ton of sense for him to be drafted that high, I, I didn't think, at pick 60. Now, of course, when you go and look at your you know nine cat, including turnover numbers and totals, he was actually 56th. But as I will always say, if you believe that, if you believe that that's the value of what he provides, then you'd be more than happy to draft him ahead of Jamal Murray, who finished 20 spots lower than that, or... Uh, Josh Giddy, who was 30 spots lower than that, or Devin Booker, who finished 81st in that ranking. It doesn't really tell us I don't think anything as we move forward. Clay, I worry about a little bit. Now, he was very up and down, as we'll show in a second. And as you can see, like Clay, Steph, Draymond, all huge peaks and all dropping in EPM on that graph. 33 minutes, 27 usage, 22 points, four and a half threes. They're all strong numbers. But part of the reason that when Clay used to be a top 30 fantasy player is he do all this stuff very similarly. But what he was able to do was be more efficient 
But also, the rest of the league didn't hit as many threes. Now, he's upped his three-point volume, but there are way more players hitting threes. So Z-score value is always relative to what everyone else is doing. So he doesn't stand out as much in that category. We also saw him obviously miss games. He played 69 games, which is great. Giggity. Um, with back-to-back miss, but he played back-to-backs towards the end of the season. He hit 41% on his um, on his three-pointers. But outside of that shooting, what, what else is he doing? Two and a half assists, 0.7 steals, 0.4 blocks, only 44% shooting overall. He was 85th percentile on EPM, but he's dropped 156th in Darko, actually a negative number. Uh, 53rd percentile on LeBron. There were so many ups. At the start of the year, he was basically unrosterable for about two months. And then he had a nice little spike in the middle of the season, which I'll, I'll show you the fantasy points graph now if you are watching on YouTube. Nice little run in the middle of the year. And it was better towards the end of the season, but still, that production from Clay again, he's 33-2. He hits 41% of his threes. He's probably going to continue to do that. But I, I think that overall, this the thing I look at with Clay, can he continue to be a 43% shooter overall and 41% from the line? Yeah. Yep. No problem. Can believe that forever. Should he be someone that gets 27% usage? And the answer to that is no, he shouldn't. Because at some point, there is going to be some sort of reckoning, not necessarily with him, but just in terms of shot distribution going to the players that are a little bit more efficient. And while 41% from three is good, 44 overall is not. And that does have an impact on what Clay does. So I think that usage will probably drop as he gets older. And when your value is tied into points and threes, which it almost exclusively is, that drops that down. So 22 points and 4.43 has become 19.4 points and 3.63, which turns him from 72nd to 95th, right? Because you're not giving anything in any other area. And as he gets older, then all those counting stats drop by 5% as well. So, well, his ADP was 60 this year, and that was fairly erroneous at the time. I, I'm i not sure that, I don't know. I'm not sure to spend a top 100 pick on him. I'm not, at age 33, with some probable regression, I think. Again, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe he gets the you know, he's fully removed from these dreadful injuries and the efficiency comes back and he starts looking more like old Clay. I, I don't think that's coming back. Old Clay was, what, five years ago? Like I don't think that's coming back. So I wouldn't think that a top 75 pick on Clay would make sense when, yes, the points are nice, but once they drop under 20 then we're talking about a three-point specialist. And yeah, I don't I don't see that. I thought he looked sluggish at times this season. Understandably, he's old with devastating knee injuries and Achilles injuries. It makes sense. But if we're trying to uh, look at it from a fantasy perspective, I don't think it's going to look... I don't think it's going to look great as we move forward. I think he'll end up, because of name recognition value, he'll end up being drafted higher than I'd be uh, happy to take him. Let's look at where we go. Andy Wiggins, who played only 37 games this season. He was 28 years, well, he is 28 years of age. He averaged 17 points, two and a half threes, five rebounds, 1.2 steals, 0.8 blocks. And we heard so much about him from the playoffs last season. Guys, I've actually figured it out. I figured it out. To get rebounds, you've got to try. I figured out the secret. And he kept saying this. And I go, bro, this makes you look terrible. Stop saying this. And then he went back to the regular season and basically did the same shit that he's always done. Five rebounds is not the 6.7 or 7 he was averaging in the playoffs. It's a little bit better than some of his Wolves seasons, but it's just the same Andrew Wiggins stuff. 
Is he a better defender than he was in Minnesota? Yeah, look, you can see how much better he is versus just on this Darko graph of how much stuff has improved. He was 84th, uh, 62nd overall in Darko and 84th percentile EPM. Like these are, these are pretty good numbers. But for fantasy, he was drafted at 83. He did, definitely didn't live up to that on a per game basis at 94. That's not far off. Um, but then missing all those games, which you couldn't have foreseen. There's no way you could have foreseen that A, he was going to have a, that um, injury. I think it was a back injury in the middle of the season and then miss all that time because of his dad's illness. Couldn't predict any of that stuff, That's which is fine. But the part of the reason where I think some people were a little bit excited about drafting Wiggins and getting him at pick 83 when he'd never really been a consistent top 100 player was that the rebound numbers and that effort level carrying over from the playoffs, and it didn't. It just didn't continue over at all. The 1.2 steals and point out blocks are nice. The free throws are bad. I don't know why he became this disgustingly bad free throw shooter. He used to be really good in his first three years. And now he's just terrible. And you've got to factor that in. 40% shooting from three is good. There's solid enough numbers there. And maybe if the Warriors do rebuild or retool um, yeah, around and, and Draymond leaves or yeah, Clay does, does, isn't one going to be there, whatever, Wiggins can have a larger role. But... We've seen larger role Wiggins, and it doesn't always equate to fantastic fantasy value. The, the usage could jump for him at some point, but I think we've sort of got an outline of who Andrew Wiggins is. So all those you know, games played missed for him. He was pretty inconsistent. He definitely wasn't that same guy that we saw in the playoffs. And yeah, I you know, think he's probably going to be that guy that's around pick 100 again. He, he came back in the playoffs with some okay production, but nothing that's super standout-ish. What is the opposite of super standout-ish. It's whatever Jordan Poole gave us. Because he was shitful. And another great example of um, context being very, very important. Very important. Because Jordan Poole was a player that was getting drafted at 65, which was probably too high for me. Because a lot of what he did the year before was... At the start of the season, he would start when Clay was out. Clay came back, played with Steph. Steph got hurt, and Poole remained starting. And in the games where he came off the bench, he didn't do anything at all. And then we headed into this season. I said, I don't know how he does more than he did last season because now he has to play with Steph and with Clay, and that did not look good. And then, of course, he got smacked in the mouth by his teammate. He still finished 98th in category leagues and 42nd in total value, another reason, and 35th in total value for minus one ranks, another reason why looking at total ranks as an indicator of how that means things go in the future is is ridiculous because Jordan Poole, under no circumstance, was a third-round player under none. He struggled a lot. He had bad playoffs. He was almost kicked out of the rotation at times. And... He's obviously a confidence player and a guy that needs rhythm and structure and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, is he going to get traded? You would think there's a chance of it. And I'm not, but I'm not, so I'm not writing him off as a fantasy player. But some of the dumbest shit you see on a court comes from him. Defensively, no idea. Offensively, bad shot selection. Passing, yeah, he can flash at times. The dribbling stuff is good at times. But he really, really set himself back. In saying all of this. He had 29 usage in 30 minutes, played every game. He's still 24. If I'm in a dynasty league, I don't think you see his value lower. You can see that how much it did drop on that Darko graph. Not that Darko tells you dynasty value, but he was trending up, trending up, trending up, and things were just bad all season in comparison to where it had been all of last season. 
He really and, and last season, as you can see as well, the second half of last season on that graph, that's when Steph was out and he really elevated. So basically, we've got a bit of a blueprint for Jordan Poole. He needs to be the guy running the offense. And then the numbers can be really strong. It can be. They can be great. 27 points and 6 assists is absolutely not out- outrageous for him. He also couldn't hit threes. And I think he is a good three-point shooter, but 34% is terrible for a guy that on that volume with who should be that much better of a shooter. He averaged 20 points still. Like from what I'm even from what I'm saying, but the general opinion of Jordan Poole would be, man, how bad is this guy? He's dreadful. He's shit house. He averaged 20 points a game. Four and a half assists. Like, that's not dreadful. It's not great overall, but he wasn't dreadful. And I think that it's really one to watch that at age 24, the extension's bad. It's going to be a bad contract, but I'm not, you know, I don't look at this and go, well, he was 98 this season. Um, he's never beating that or getting higher than that. I would say over the next six years, he probably has four to five seasons that are significantly better than that, would be my guess. Now, it might be iffy if he stays in Golden State, but he's heading into his peak. Everyone else is dropping away. So I think it's a great buy low opportunity. 218th in Darko, as I said, dropped quite a bit there. 12th percentile LeBron. There's no no sugarcoating it. He was shit. He was really bad. But I think there's more here still, and I'm not the biggest Jordan Poole fan, but I think there's more here from him. He had his moments. The inconsistency killed, and I think that killed his overall game as well, his role moving back and forward and finding where you sit, and man, I've got to force my shots because I'm coming off the bench and all that sort of stuff. So it's definitely not an ideal scenario for him, but the team can't stay together in perpetuity whether it's him or Clay or Dre or Steph retiring or whatever it is, something will change in the next few years. And that will give him that opportunity to really sink or swim. He was a little bit better over the second course, second half of the season in EPM versus what he was uh, at the start. Playoffs obviously dropped away quite a bit. But I, my, my general take here on Jordan Poole is that in the dynasty format, I do think that the value is dropping. And it might be a good spot to get him if, because I, I do think there is a sizable chance he is dealt in the offseason and it opens up a lot. And I think that would be something to keep an eye on. Let's look at the big ragu. Dante DiVincenzo, who did sign on a contract which seemed really cheap at the time. I, at, initially, I didn't really think that he was a draftable guy. He was picked in 3% of leagues at 140 because I just didn't see where the minutes were coming from on this squad. Yes, there'd be occasional moments, but realistically, he was the fourth guard. Now, injuries long-term to Steph, and then a massive absence from Wiggins meant they played small, and he played 26 a night. He finished 125th. He was actually 95th in totals because he played 72 games, 15 usage. How did he get value? Well, he hit two threes at 40%. He got 1.3 steals, almost four assists. There's some interesting numbers there. He's a guy that can handle the ball a little bit. He can defend a little bit. He was quite strong down the stretch of the season, fantasy playoff-wise, when Wiggins was out, putting up really good numbers. But again, it was a weird situation that enabled him to be able to do that. And while I like DiVincenzo, and I'm not sure he's going to be back, you need to find him getting into a role where he's going to be a a 30-minute-a-night player. That's how he becomes a 12-team league guy, and he's a limited upside guy at that. Shot the ball well, hasn't always done that, but he can pass, he can defend, he can shoot somewhat, occasionally, sometimes. But it's going to be role-dependent in where he fits. You can see just his graph, his darker graph, is sort of all over the place. But he did really put it together towards the end of the season. Now, his playoffs weren't particularly strong. As you'll see on the darker graph, 
um, when we get to that. But he was able to, and on the fantasy points graph, you can see how little he was used early on and then some bigger performances later on when Wiggins was out and then Steph was out as well. And he was able to put together some good performances. I like him as a player. He's 26 still, so he is starting to hit peak. Not sure any team's going to want him on a roll where he's a 20 usage guy, maybe 18, maybe 19. So there's a little bit more juice here for him to be maybe a 12-point scorer with four assists in and hitting 2.5, 2.6 triples. I think that's possible which would maybe make him top 100. But it's all going to be location-dependent, I think, for DiVincenzo. So there's a little bit with him. I liked what I saw and sort of settled into a role. And you can see on the EPM, he just didn't play huge amounts at the start and then was a, a real fixture. And then a lot of his impact uh, rose towards the end of the season when players were out. It's always good to see players step up when their role increases as well. Let's talk about Kevon Looney, who was awesome. He works so hard. I, one of the things I love watching is Kevon Looney college highlights. If you haven't seen it, he basically is like a point forward, run and gun, three-point shooting wing. And then you watch him now, go, the, the bloke has a 10% usage. He never shoots. He just rebounds and defends. He was unbelievably different in college. Now, multiple hip surgeries have done that. He's only 27. His rankings can be a little, um, I don't know if misleading is the right word. Maybe it is. He's 137th in category league rankings, 90th in totals because he played 82 games again for the second straight year, which again is an awesome thing for a guy that couldn't get on that court early in his career. Again, illustrating that injury proneness is not something that's forever. You're injured when you're injured and you're not when you're not. He was drafted at 134 in 13% of leagues. It's sort of around the area. He, bring, he brought the value back, but realistically, he's a two-cat guy. 9.3 rebounds, 63% shooting. Right, that's what he brought. Didn't hit threes, had seven points, 0.6 deals, 0.6 blocks, and 61 from the line. Now, it works for certain teams as a specialist, but it's a two-cat player. He played 24 minutes a night. His impact was great. 82nd percentile EPM, 45th overall on Darko. You love him as a player, but for fantasy, that's not a must-roster guy. It's a guy that you use at times to get some big rebounds, if it makes sense, on your squad, with your team. I don't ever see really a scenario where everything gets expanded for him. I think they probably could have played him more minutes, but I also think there's a part of the low minutes here for Looney is an ability for him to maintain and stay healthy. That that's what I'm not sure he can do huge amounts more than this on a regular and continual basis. And when you look at his fantasy points graph, the red line is is minutes. And like there are some variations, but there's not huge ones. They the minutes did spike towards the end of the season. And part of that was some of the Wiggins injury and just getting some different lineups in there. Um, but if we're looking at him as any sort of breakout player, I, I think you'd be pretty disappointed. But overall, he was really strong. He had those massive games in the playoffs against Demontis Sabonis, big rebound games. And that's really what he's turned himself into, is being a rebounding specialist. The doctor, Gary Payton II, Went to Portland, signed that big deal. I didn't love him as a player in Portland as a draftable guy. He was still drafted in 13% of leagues, which made no sense to me because, again, my thing was, how does he get on the court? With Josh Hart, Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, Damian Lillard, how does he get on the court? And and the answer was he doesn't. He had that abdominal injury, which kept him out a bunch of time, came back. Then there was the trade deadline saga of the Warriors saying that the Blazers hit injury information and he was going to be out for three months. And of course, he returned it a month after that or six weeks after that, all that bullshit. But overall, the production that Peyton produced as a Warrior the year before 
was a little bit of a mirage. He played 17 minutes a night with 10% usage average, four points, 59%. He's basically a center in a uh, guard's body. He had 50% from three on insanely low volume, but part of the reason he was useful for fantasy the year before based on rankings was steals. And he only got a steal per game. And that's the sort of player that if there's not a solid, strong, big role there for him, you just can't invest in that sort of a guy. He's also 30. He's still got a couple more years contract, but you know if DiVincenzo does leave, there is a larger role here, a 20-minute-a-night role, and he turns into a steal specialist for the Warriors. But everything else, I don't think we get excited about. He ended up 237th in category leagues and 315th in points leagues. His overall, um, he was one of the highest players, I think, in EPM last season. And obviously this year, it it wasn't there. He just wasn't the same guy. Actually, I'm just going to have a look at his um, his EPM year-on-year comparison. Yeah, it went from plus 3.5 to negative 1.8. That's going to be one of the biggest drops in the entire NBA. He really got by the year before on really big defensive numbers um, and fell away significantly. The injury didn't help, but he just also wasn't the same player because he's 30 with a significant core injury. And I don't think, I think that year probably stands out, the 21-22 season, as the outlier year. 22 games, 17 minutes a game. You can see he just barely played there. That little uh, batch in the middle there are games for Portland and then games for Golden State at the end. There might be something larger happening if... If DiVincenzo leaves and there are minutes available, if they trade pool, but I don't think you'd want to be relying super heavily on Gary Payton if you're an NBA team at this point. And that brings us to the three young players on this team. Because I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to actually talk about Anthony Lamb. I'm not going to talk about Andre Iguodala. I'm not going to talk about Jermichael Green. Let's talk about Jonathan Kaminga. 238th ranked player in category leagues, 220th in point six. He was drafted in about half of the leagues in around round 12, round 11, 137 ADP. He's 20. He had some really strong moments in the playoffs the year before at times, but something went wrong. What it was, I couldn't exactly tell you, but something went wrong. There was a complete lack of trust from Steve Kerr for Kaminga. I don't think there's any debate in that because Kaminga would come in, he'd play a really good game, come out the next game, make some make a bad decision, and then get benched and not play for three games. That's an exaggeration because he ended up playing 67 games. But only 21 minutes, 20 usage, 10 points. He shot 37 from three, 53% overall. Not great from the free throw line. But the passing numbers, the defensive numbers, they're not spectacularly good. Overall, his advanced numbers, apart from LeBron, which hates him, had him ranked ninth percentile compared to starters. But EPM's got him 62nd percentile. Uh, Darko's got him 190th. You can see a little bit of an increase there after um, yeah, he was improving last season and then dropped at the start of this season and then started to improve again. And there is a role here. There is a role in the NBA for Kaminga. I'm still, I don't think that there's complete superstar upside for him, but playing as like a power forward slash small ball center with efficiency and finishing is where the value is. My problem is, is he's passing and he's, defensive ability, but for fantasy-wise, defensive stats is probably always going to hold him back. And he's not going to be a high-volume three-point shooter. He's not a strong rebounder either. So all these things are a little bit concerning when we look at his fantasy value overall. And yes, if Draymond did decide to leave, I would expect that Kaminga is the starter and I would absolutely be taking a flyer on him at the end of drafts. He is 20. He is the same age let me double check this because this doesn't feel right. I've got to double check this. Um, is he? Tw- is he? Is actually how old he is? Yeah, he's the same age as Brandon Miller. Ah, right. What the? F- 
Okay, so that puts it in perspective. Puts it in perspective for Brandon Miller as well. But he's the same. He's, he's maybe a month or two older, right? He's the same age as Brandon Miller, about four months older than the Thompsons. He's got two years of experience, played in the NBA Finals, had some struggles. There is still a player here. But I worry that maybe overall fantasy contributions might end up similar to an Andrew Wiggins, where there is a lack of defensive stats and assists and steals, assists and rebounds, but with higher field goal percentage. So while it was a bad year overall, where we hope we get a little bit more development, while we worry about the relationship with him and Kerr, I think what you need to do is go back and look at almost any team. Pick any team you want in the NBA, right? And go back and look at their roster 2019 and see how many players are on that team. Even this even this team. If we look at their 2019 roster, who's on this team? It's Steph, it's Dre, it's Clay. And Poole was just drafted. And that's it. Yep, that's it. Four players. Oh, no, Looney. Sorry, five players. And that's probably one of the more stable teams. But that also means that there are 10 players plus two two-way guys that aren't on the team. So in three years' time, when Kaminga's 23, either he's on this team or he's on a different team. And if he is on this team, there'll be two guys with him. That's probably it. So, so many, And if you're looking dynasty-wise, so much stuff changes so quickly. Like, it might not seem long, but you know, three, four years... And you're in a completely different scenario. So while things look down, and I'm not gigantically sky high on Kaminga, but also it's about trying to procure value in a dynasty league. And I reckon, I reckon at this point, the value is a little bit dropped. I don't know exactly. I'm actually doing a dynasty mock at the moment. So I don't know where he's going to go. But I'll definitely take him in the top 100. I think I say that now, but I'll definitely take him in the top 100, especially on my team where I took uh, Wembenyama in uh, round one. His EPM stuff there, look, it's okay. There's some there's some positives there. Look, I wouldn't say he was a disaster. He had some good games, but there's definitely a trust issue and a scheme issue with him on this squad. And it's going to require a change of something to unlock it, and it might come. It might come. When you look at Modi moves, Modi moves, Modi moves, Modi moves, Modi moves, Moses Moody. Yep, thanks, Perk. Uh, Moses Moody, who... I really liked as a player in the draft. I had him sixth overall in that draft. I had him ahead of Kaminga. Um, and it's been a real struggle so far in the NBA. I still like him. He's a little older, but he's still only 21. You can compare him to Jordan Hawkins. They're the same age. He's 416th on a per-game basis, 13 minutes a game, 15 usage, 36 from three, 48 overall, pretty decent efficiency numbers. Not a lot else happening. 0.3 steals in 13 minutes isn't a good number. 0.8 assists isn't a good number. Five points on 15 usage. Look, all that can spike. 228th in Darko, but steady improvement. 34th percentile EPM. Okay, not great. 11th percentile LeBron, not great. In and out of the rotation. Again, depth there with Peyton and Poole and DiVincenzo and Steph and Clay. Hard to find that role. Hard to find that role. But he did start to find a role towards the end of the season. Um, and more more particularly or more specifically in the playoffs where Moody, who just couldn't be a regular rotation guy, and I thought it was stupid to be playing Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb ahead of him. What we started to see from him in the playoffs, consistent role, a 26-minute game, a 20-minute game, a 19-minute game, a 16-minute game, 
some solid rebounding nights, some okay defensive nights, some positive plus-minus nights in most of these games was really encouraging. And if they do shake things up at all and trade Jordan Poole and DiVincenzo walks, I wouldn't be shocked to see 22 minutes a night from Moody next season. Now, I don't know that his overall fantasy profile is particularly sexy. I think he's a good scorer. He's a good defender without generating good defensive stats, but rebounds, assists, not sure they're ever going to come. Not sure he's going to be a high-volume three-point guy or a three-point or a free-throw player, but year three is a really critical year for a lot of players. And while I probably have I have softened my stance where I had Moody significantly better than Kaminga pre-draft, I still I think Kaminga probably is going to end up as a better player. I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying that that's um, set in stone. Like Moody was great, I thought, in the playoffs for the role that he played. And it might be a little bit harder to buy low on him because the playoffs are fresh in our memories. I I think this is an interesting building block. And when you go look at the EPM graph, like how bad he struggled early on, but then look at some of those positive performances towards the end of the season. And that's the sort of thing that as you get into year three, again, usually one of the biggest things you get you get a big change in a player's production from year one to year two, but it's often from dreadful to not too bad. But year three, year two to year three is where you see the player go from bad to actually good or really good. And if you can't really hit it at year three and you're still sitting at bad, then I start to worry. You can still do a third year to fourth year jump. That does happen. But that year three one is the real critical one. And there just could be a few things opening up with... You know, perhaps Jordan Poole or DiVincenzo or what they do with Peyton or who knows, where Moody showed enough in the playoffs where they go, all right, let's see what you can do. Let's see what you're able to produce. I'm not sure the fantasy skill set's great, but I think we're going to see way more from him next season. And then we get into their rookie from this season, Patrick Baldwin Jr., 462nd in category leagues. There's very little to see from what he did this season. He played seven minutes a game in 31 games. He's 20. He averaged four points, shot 38% from three. That's encouraging. Part of the appeal with him is he's a six foot ten shooting forward who struggled playing in Milwaukee uh, in college with a shooting issue. But in high school, he'd always been this knockdown shooter. Not quite the Michael Porter Jr. style, but sort of super tall, powerful who shoots. There's not a lot else here to look at. One rebound in seven minutes, 0.2 steals. Nothing really to write home about. Bad free throws, bad impact stats. Everything's bad. But I did think that the few moments that we saw him play, I think that you know, when we're, they're relying upon Anthony Lamb and Jermichael Green, who Green had a couple of moments in the playoffs, when you're relying upon those players, they're not impediments to Baldwin getting there. I think he's probably still a year three guy. So a 23, 20, uh, no, a 24, 25 sort of a guy. But there is an intriguing skill set as a points, threes, rebounds, blocks option. That's a good fantasy player. So he's just one to keep an eye on. I'd probably have like Peyton Watson in Denver a little bit higher. I think there's probably more overall upside there. But Watson also, I think, probably takes a little bit longer to get there. But this is a player that no one's really talking about, rightfully so, because he didn't do anything. But there were a couple of little flashes for him. And again, he's not particularly old at age 20 at the end of his first season. He flashed a few little things that I was impressed with. Not enough to go crazy on it, but at least someone to keep on my radar and go, let's see. Let's see what they do with him. Let's see how he looks in Summer League. Because he should be in a position to dominate. And hopefully he does. And that will do it for me today. Don't forget, follow this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. On YouTube, thumb it up. Leave those comments down below tomorrow. Talking with Ben Pfeiffer. 
about some NBA draft prospects. We're looking at a couple of guys we've already covered, but Ben has some different takes on Bilal Kulabali and CD Sissoko. And we're also talking Jarris Walker. And I'm saying we're talking, I've already spoken to him. We've done it. The show's recorded. It's coming out. It's going to be there tomorrow. Um, guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.